Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what is up, guys? We are back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. We got a three-man pod for you guys today. With me, I got AC. What's up, guys? We got Abi. What's going on, everyone? And as you guys know, it's me, Anushan. So for today's podcast, we are down to the last two teams in the playoff. And frankly, these are teams that we didn't expect to reach this point at the beginning of the season. As you guys know, these two teams are the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, who both have some major Cinderella stories in getting to this point. So before we talk about the teams, we need to actually talk about this year's finals itself. A lot of debate has been going around whether this year's champion will be remembered as an asterisk champion. And that's mainly because of the shortened offseason and the debilitating injuries that a lot of the major contenders and their superstars had to deal with. So I gotta ask you guys, what are your thoughts? Are you guys surprised? Do the right teams make it? Will it be remembered as an asterisk title? Should it be? It may be remembered that way. I don't feel that it's fair that it should be. Obviously, this year has an astronomical amount of injuries, more so than a regular year. And I know you went through some of the reasons. It's not just that there was a shortened off season, that the, the season itself was very compressed and a combination of factors from people getting up really early to make these COVID tests and so a lot less rest than normal. All these things combined together to create a situation of really devastating injuries throughout the league. That being said, there's always some degree of injury somewhere, right? I mean, and and if we're going to start taking away championships from people as being asterisk championships, like where do we draw the line for that? Because now, Anu, your Raptors won a championship when they face a team without two of its best players on a team without Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, both who got injured in that finals. Now, is that an asterisk champion? How about the Warriors 2015 when they face a team without Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving? Is that an asterisk championship? So I just feel like it's a, a difficult exercise to go down. It may be remembered that way just because it's such an exceptional amount of injuries. Hopefully, if Giannis actually can play in this finals, it looks like he's going to play at some point. So at least we have a competitive finals. But I don't know. Overall, it's obviously a surprising result to have these teams here. But I think whoever is the champion deserves some credit for getting through this tough season and pulling through to the very end, even with some luck going their way. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, AC. I wouldn't go as far to say that this is an asteroid championship, but we do have to kind of consider the path that each team had to take to get here. And where the Suns, they played on their playoff run where at least one of the top two players on each team were injured. They played the Lakers in the first round and AD was injured. And he tried to come back for game six, but he left early in the first quarter. LeBron was not 100% either. And then in the second round, they played a Nuggets team that didn't have Jamal Murray, their arguably best scorer. And in the finals, they didn't play against um, Kawhi Leonard from the Clippers. So when you take all that in, I don't want to say it's not deserved because they did have to, you know, go through like their own set of injuries without playing with Chris Paul. But you do have to consider what would have happened if they had to play any of those teams at 100% full strength. So it's kind of in the air right now. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an asterisk championship. And for a majority of the reasons that you guys also listed, I mean, every team had to deal with some form of injury or some issues with COVID protocols, right? So those are all things that would have to be kept in mind when we think about this finals run. But that's not to say that the two teams that are in the same position haven't had to deal with those things themselves. As Abi, you mentioned, Chris Paul was dealing with nagging injuries. He also had to deal with COVID protocols himself. Right now, the Bucks they beat the Atlanta Hawks without Giannis. He missed two of the games. So not having their best player and managing to win that series. Yes, of course, Trey Young was also dealing with injuries but I mean the rest of those guys really rallied and they got to this point so I don't want to necessarily chalk it up and be like oh you know what this season half the superstars weren't even playing blah 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 but it's also like every team that is in this position it it comes down to the grit and the grind of the season right who's really mentally all there who's really prepared because yes you're going to have to deal with injuries it happens every year AC you said it with my Raptors with the Warriors I mean the Warriors for God's sakes throughout all their championship runs have dealt with teams that were shorthanded right so I mean we can't really just take that away from these teams so no I don't think this is an asterisk championship but I do think it will be remembered as something that was a little bit awkward for teams to 
have to go through for sure. The other thing that comes to mind is these are fan bases that have suffered for a long time. So you think about Phoenix, they famously went to the NBA Finals the year that Charles Barkley won his MVP and then actually played really well in the finals in which they were pretty much outgunned by Michael Jordan at his absolute peak, dropping multiple 50-point games in that legendary NBA Finals. Aside from that, the Phoenix Suns have had many times where they've fallen short multiple times over and over again with Steve Nash in some series, specifically against San Antonio, where really just bad luck or stupid enforcement of the rules by David Stern cost them probably, at the very least, finals appearances or likely championships given the quality of the opponents in the East that they would have faced. And then you think about the Bucks, who were led in the early 70s by Kareem, who back then was known as Lou Cinder, and of course, Oscar Robertson as well. They win this championship. They look like a franchise that's set up for the long term. And then Kareem forces his way to L.A., and the rest is kind of history. That franchise takes off, and Milwaukee has a lot of mediocre seasons. And then they have this run in 2001 in which a lot of Milwaukee fans will tell you that the NBA rigged that Eastern Conference Finals for Philadelphia and if you watch some of those games you know the famous Kings Lakers series gets all the attention but that Buck Sixers here was very questionable and after that it's just been a lot of heartbreak so these are franchises that often get talked about in terms of teams that maybe move to Seattle you know but they have loyal fan bases you see the Huge crowds outside Milwaukee for these games. Phoenix as well is sucked by this team that often has been not only unlucky, but having an ownership group led by Robert Sarver that has often been very cheap. So both these franchises and these fan bases, I bet you they don't give two shits about who else is injured. They're just happy to take the opportunity to win a championship if it comes their way. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Suns and their playoff droughts. I mean, it's been 10 years since they made the playoffs. And in their first year back in the playoffs, I mean, they made the finals. So that in and of itself is an incredible accomplishment. And of course, the fan base in Phoenix, like you said, is kind of starving for those like finals, for those wins. And I mean, now they finally have a, a franchise that they can kind of get behind. I mean, even for years with Devin Booker in his early comings, a lot of people had so much hope for this guy from his early years playing in the NBA. They have a very competent center in DeAndre Ayton. Like these are guys you sort of were banking on and they just needed that extra push. And now that they have Chris Paul, I mean, kind of was the key for them to kind of get their foot in the door. So, I mean, great for their franchise. And with the Bucks, right? Like I see a lot of my fan base in the sense that they had that whole like Deer District, which is, I mean, I wouldn't want to say it's a blatant copy of my Jurassic Park, but I mean, come on now. <laughs> so, like even the name, I mean, it's, the name is goofy, but I, I I love to see that. I mean, they're all out there just supporting their team, supporting their franchise. And again, that's another franchise that has had a very good team for a lot of years, but they can never break the mold. They can never get over the hump. But finally, they've gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals and they won in the Eastern Conference Finals to make it to the NBA Finals. I mean, it's incredible to see. I couldn't be happier for a guy like Giannis who sort of deserved to be in that position, I would like to think. And again, Coach Bud has finally proved to me that he has a competent team that he can coach. So, I mean, great to see. I know you mentioned Giannis. One of the other storylines here is when Giannis signs his extension earlier this season, there was a lot of chatter about whether he was making a mistake. And if this Bucks team had failed to make the finals in a year where basically all the other stars around the league were out with injury, it would have been looked at as an absolute failure. And I actually think a major move would have to be made. I wouldn't even be surprised if he demanded out or if any other thing could have happened. They could have traded this whole roster away. Instead, he goes out game five, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals, and his team steps up in his absence. So, I mean, it's an incredible situation where he had faith in his team and he rewarded them with an extension, probably for more years than anyone really anticipated. And then the team has now come through for him by getting Drew Holiday from a manager's perspective and the coach, Coach Bud has stepped up. And then all those guys, whether it's Drew Holiday, Middleton, everyone else, played a part in getting this team to the finals without Giannis. The supporting cast around Giannis. These guys have really, really proved to me that they are ready for the big time. I mean, if someone were to tell me that the Bucks would beat the Atlanta Hawks 
without Giannis, I would have been like, uh, I'm not too sure about that. The Hawks are a really hot team. You know, they have Trey Young, who's been absolutely incredible in this year's playoffs. The supporting cast of the Hawks is amazing. And if you looked at it after game one, when Giannis was playing really well and they managed to lose that game with Giannis in the lineup, I would have been like, man, you guys are crazy. But without Giannis, for them to push this far, Drew Holiday really showing us that he is one of the elite two-way guards in the NBA. Chris Middleton showing us how good of a closer he is. Even a guy like Brooke Lopez, who had an absolute monstrous series, both being a competent scorer, a rebounder, but most importantly, a rim protector. I mean, all the guys on the Bucks role players have been absolutely incredible. And Giannis has a real shot at winning a championship with these guys. But in order to do that, they're going to have to go through a Phoenix Suns team. And the Phoenix Suns, we're going to analyze them. We got to start with the man they acquired. The guy who you, Anushan, I recall in the first episode we released about the Western (sighs) Conference. Oh, boy. (laughs) Thought that it was a mistake for the Phoenix Suns to get Chris Paul. You didn't think I'd let you get away with that, did you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was waiting for it, to be honest with you, but... I have to atone for my sins, man. I mean, listen, you guys say it all the time. The guy is the point god. Even I remember in our all-star previews, I said he shouldn't be an all-star. I also have to take an L there because, I mean... (laughs) I just forgot about that one. (laughs) I have to atone for my sins, man. Chris Paul... He is the guy for a reason. He's the point guard. And he does everything that you need from the point guard position, especially for the Suns, who are a young team. I mean, we talked about it on numerous occasions, but I don't think I've seen a player control the game as well as Chris Paul has, maybe outside of LeBron James, who's probably you would say is a bit better, maybe. But I mean, a guy like Chris Paul who controlled the game so well can get you clutch buckets. I mean, in that closeout game, he had, what, like 40-plus points to win the game? Like, I mean, just absolutely incredible. He's a leader as good as they come. And you know what, Chris? I'm very, very, very sorry. I apologize, man. He also just makes Devin Booker so much better as well because when Chris Paul's on the floor, Devin Booker doesn't have to worry about playmaking or distributing the ball. I mean, he still can do that, but Chris Paul, you know, being the floor general that he is, can essentially just get him all the looks that he needs. And like, he just makes everyone on the court so much better. And the sets that he runs with, him and DeAndre Aiden are just, they're just so good to watch. One of the things about Chris Paul, and we'll get into his legacy a little later in the pod, what a final experience really means to him, but he did have this reputation, and I think very unfairly as a person who failed in the playoffs. And part of that is because he had some pretty memorable series where he made famous blunders. One that comes to mind is a series against Oklahoma City back when they had KD and Westbrook where really Chris Paul kind of choked away that series with some really poor decisions but how about his performance in closeout games in the playoffs so far so I know you mentioned his game six performance he had 41 points eight assists three steals and the man shot a ridiculous 66.7 percent from the field and he also had 87.5 percent from three on 81 percent true shooting percentage as well I mean this is just wait these, like, these numbers don't even make sense wait wait, right? wait could you repeat that one more time that was incredible <laughs> what yeah, he had an 81% true shooting percentage. Oh my god. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, you, you don't want to factor free throws in? All right, 81.3 effective field goal percentage in that closeout game. How about game four of the Nuggets series, right? When the Nuggets are kind of reeling and you have the chance to put your foot on the neck of a team that's struggling, he had 37 points, seven assists, and two steals. And again, in that game, another game where he shot 80% true shooting. I mean, the guy has been a maestro in this game. And in general, he has not turned the ball over. He had eight turnovers in the entire series in the Western Conference Finals. Now, granted, he missed a couple of games, but that's pretty remarkable. And then in general, throughout the playoffs, even in that first series against the Lakers, he just didn't turn the ball over, which is kind of remarkable against a team like the Lakers, who are known for their defense and for forcing turnovers. So he's been not just distributing the ball, which we all know, but he's been doing it efficiently without making mistakes. Yeah, and I think that's very important for not only him himself, but for how he sets the tone for his team, right? Because Chris Paul has a very like no-nonsense approach to basketball. He's a guy who tries to play the game the right way. Granted, I know he has this title of being a dirty player or whatever the case may be, but I mean, he's a guy who plays hard and he's a guy who plays smart. And I feel like young players, young stars really, like DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, have really kind of taken those lessons from him and have molded that into their own games and really has shape the identity of what the Phoenix Suns are trying to do. And for that, I mean, Chris Paul definitely gets a thumbs up. 
Oh, no, you mentioned young stars, so we have to talk about Devin Booker, who's been on an absolute tear in his first ever playoffs. He's been killing it, and I just get so many Kobe fives when I watch him play, like on the offensive end at least. I'm really glad you brought up Kobe Bryant when you mentioned Devin Booker because so much of his game resembles Kobe. I think he's been miscast as this guy who's like a Ray Allen type, like a pure three-point shooter. But that's actually not Devin Booker. He doesn't take or make nearly as many threes as like the Ray types or the Clay Thompson types. But he does have excellent footwork. He's a master of the mid-range, not just on the ball, but even just the things that he does, you know, curling around a screen, to get the ball in the right position. And then he has such a variety of shots in his arsenal. He has a great use of the left hand, which is something that I, I always think about Kobe, just his ability to use both hands to finish shots, like little floaters. Like out of nowhere, I'll just pull out a left-handed floater. So you can see that he's modeled his game after his idol, Kobe. And he's also got a little bit of that sense of that moment too. We've seen him in several situations kind of step up. Because even though Kobe's actual clutch reputation may be a bit overstated the one part of it that wasn't was maybe not in the exact clutch moments of him taking the last shot but how in the big games he would just step up and then knock a team out we saw that in the la series when in game six devin booker made damn sure it wasn't getting to a game seven i do think that ever since he broke his nose he hasn't looked quite the same and to be fair the man I mean, he didn't just like break his nose in one place. It's it's pretty much shattered in multiple places, right? It looks terrible. It seems like it's affecting him. So I'm a bit worried about how that'll impact him long term. But the guys had five 30-point games as playoffs and two 40-point games, including that 47-point game to close the Lakers out. So he's been performing. Just to add on his skill set a little bit, he also has a phenomenal first step, which allows him to drive to the rim with relative ease. And then he can easily like blow by his man. Yeah, I mean, his offensive arsenal and his offensive package are absolutely incredible. I mean, we've seen him have ridiculous performances this playoffs. Granted, like AC said, he has slowed down a little bit because of his injury. But overall, I mean, the dude is so reminiscent of a Kobe Bryant type with the way he's able to, you know, slash, get to the basket. Like AC said, have this weird knack for finishing with either hand, you know, pull up mid-range shots, post-ups, even like... He's extended his game a little bit to the three-point line. He's always been a good three-point shooter, but, I mean, shooting from, like, really deep, shooting off the dribble shots, it's like a really wide variety and a wide array of offensive moves that he has. And while he's probably not a great defender yet, he does show and put a lot of effort on that side of the ball, and that's something that you love to see from young players who really care about the outcome of winning and yet to me he's not even been the most remarkable young player on the phoenix suns this postseason that honor in my opinion goes to deandre ayton because what this man is doing night in night out on both ends is truly remarkable if you factor in his youth you know when people talk about playing certain positions like they say this about wide receivers in in football it's not a thing that a young player come into there's just so much nuance to that position right the same is true for big men in the nba because especially defensively there's so many decisions that they have to make to be in the right place at the right time that it's easy to get lost deandre ayton has consistently shown that he is not just this one-way offensive player like he was perceived to be in college but he's actually in the right place in the right time more often than not he plays his ass off whether the play is being run for him or if it's not. And he's content with just, you know, finishing plays where they're made to be finished. And he'll do the occasional post up here or there if he needs to. But otherwise, he has excellent hands and he's content to roll, do the hard work, get offensive rebounds, set good screens. I mean, the ceiling of this guy, in, in, at least in my mind, has gone up considerably from where I thought it was before. He's just been a phenomenon. Yeah, you make a great point, AC, in his amazing offensive skill set. And I noticed, like, in the series before against the Clippers that they really couldn't play small ball effectively against him because he could easily just punish the mismatch, unlike, I don't want to keep harping on it, but unlike Rudy Gobert, who has no offense <laughs> at all. Your guy, Rudy. Yeah, that's your boy. What are you talking about? <laughs> I got to I gotta harp on him. I have to. Because unlike Gobert, who has no offense, who can't punish mismatches at all, DeAndre Ayton can do that. So you effectively can't really run small ball because he's also like not that bad of a defender. He doesn't get blown by as easily. It's not just that he can post up or like isolate against a mismatch, which he absolutely can. And he is finishing at a ridiculous rate around the rim. 
And not just on dunks, by the way. It's on little floaters, little hook shots. He's got everything in his arsenal. But he's also a devastating offensive rebounder if you just put a little guard on him, right? Like he's going to get those offensive rebounds. He's going to punish you in that way as well. So you can't get away with switching against him, which is something that the Clippers came to realize as the series went on, that the same strategy they used the previous series won't work because Aiden is all the difference. You know, it's interesting because back in that 2019 draft, when DeAndre Aiden went first, everyone thought it was the biggest mistake the Suns could have made because they didn't draft the best player being Luka Doncic. And of course, you can even make the argument now like, yeah, you know, Aiden's nowhere near Luka Doncic's level, right? But it's not what the Suns need. What they need is a guy in the middle who can control the boards, be a huge presence on the defensive end, and be a fantastic finisher around the rim, and also provide a little bit of a mid-range jump shot as well. And that's what DeAndre Ayton can do for you. I mean, I've always knew that he had this potential to be a very dominant and imposing big man, but this far exceeds my expectations. And yes, this is probably due in part with the growth of his co-star Devin Booker and as well as Chris Paul just being the point god and getting him involved but it's that confidence you see out of him now like he wants to take that mismatch he wants to punish the weaker defender he wants to go at the better defenders and he's not afraid to compete on the defensive end and it just seems like this guy's like a sponge he just wants to keep learning and learning and learning and I mean during Chris Paul's interviews he raves about how good DeAndre Ayton is as not only a player but a teammate as well and a person so those kind of things can not be taken for granted or you have to put a lot of value on them and i think deandre ayton has really shown this playoffs that he is going to be a premier big man for years to come i know when you bring up the draft and then passing up luka Doncic, it reminds me a lot of what the rockets did with hakeem olajuwon right so hakeem olajuwon was from the university of houston and the houston rockets took him number one and obviously they missed on michael jordan but they still ended up with the hall of famer who got them two championships now if they could do it over again Would they still have taken Hakeem over Michael? I'm not sure, but they definitely didn't live to regret it. The way that, say, Portland did by taking Sam Bowie number two. I think there's a lot of similarities here. Luka Doncic is that all-time great talent that maybe if they could do it again, they might have taken. But I think that there's a situation where here Phoenix takes the local kid from the local university, University of Arizona, and it ends up being a franchise big who actually lives up to the hype Unlike, say, what the number two pick where the Sacramento Kings took Marvin Bagley, I think that's going to be the next Sam Bowie. So, yeah, maybe they missed on, on Luka, but hey, I think they got the right guy for their situation going forward. That was an awesome comparison. I didn't even think about that, but like it makes so much sense and the similarities are all there. And you know what? You're probably right. Like it may be, it may just end out that way where Luka Doncic is going to have a great career. DeAndre Ayton is going to have an amazing career in his own right. And he might even lead the Suns to not maybe not lead, but he might contribute to them winning a championship. And that's incredible because this is going to be before Luka Doncic even made it out of the first round of the playoffs. So the similarities are pretty glaring, honestly. It also just really annoys me whenever people try to say that DeAndre Ayton is a bust because he's not as good as Luka Doncic or Trey Young but as you guys alluded to he does what the Suns need him to do if they drafted Luka then I mean they would have an issue when it comes to guards and like they wouldn't have like the same kind of big man presence that they have with DeAndre Ayton and I also just find it kind of funny that DeAndre Ayton might possibly win a ring before Luka or Trey Young. I mean, not to keep beating this analogy, but Houston does make the NBA Finals in the 80s before Michael does. Now, granted, they lose that Finals to the Celtics, and maybe that's what's going to happen here. But before we get to the other team that might end up beating them, I do have (laughs) one more question for you guys. What's a role player that you have your eye on for the Finals on this Phoenix Suns roster? Oh, man, that's a tough, tough question. Because, I mean, as you guys know, I've been harping about the role players on the Suns since the playoffs really began, or even even before the playoffs, I thought the role players were incredible. Yeah, but, you only get to pick one for this yeah, exercise, buddy. I, I do only get to pick one. Damn. Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to say Cameron Payne, to be honest with you. And I think Cameron Payne because I feel like he can be a huge difference maker coming off the bench. It gives Chris Paul a good amount of time to rest. He's shown that he can score with the best of them. He has a quick first step, like something you've never seen before. He can get to the rim in a flash, competitor on the defensive end. So for me, I think he's going to be all the difference. For me, I would probably say Jay Crowder because he's shown that he can guard wings like pretty effectively. Not to mention that he has a great three-point shot. You can't leave this guy open. 
often because he's going to convert almost all the time. So I've really been impressed with Jay Crowder. And I just think that Jay Crowder is like so good for them. And I just think that they can run an effective small ball lineup with him at the five if they wanted to. What's funny about you picking Jay Crowder, who just so recently, last season's finals, couldn't even make a shot. And then campaign, who was known as the guy who was basically Russell Westbrook's dancing buddy until recently. It just shows how a playoff run can change our perceptions of players. But I'm going to go a different route. I'm going with the young Mikhail Bridges. This man has been so impressive at his age. He has become sort of the premier 3 and D role player in the league right now. He doesn't make defensive mistakes. His seven plus foot wingspan and tremendous footwork make him kind of the perfect person to put on any sort of guard or wing. I think he's going to be getting the assignment of Chris Middleton for a lot of this series. I could even see him on Drew Holiday. And he's just that kind of range. And he's not a guy that's like a one-way player. You cannot leave him open. He's shown that he can hit threes, though his shot has gone a little bit down in recent rounds, but still he's capable. And I think having a guy like that, along with the Crowder and then the other rangy players they have, gives him a lot of flexibility to go as obviously as small if they want to. Although I'm not sure that'll actually happen in series against the Bucks, and we'll talk more about the X's and O's of that later, but it just gives him so much flexibility to have three and D wing like this. So that brings us to their opponents, the Milwaukee Bucks. And this is a team that a lot of us have been harping on for the whole year. Especially, I know Uswe was a guy who did not really believe that the Milwaukee Bucks could make it to this point. He's been Giannis's and Coach Bud's biggest critic. So, I mean, guys, what do we see out of this Milwaukee Bucks team? How did they get to this point? Their progressions? What do we think? Well, I guess we should start with Giannis. And the question is... Are we going to see him? We know that he's been officially ruled as doubtful for game one. But last Friday, Chris Haynes put out a tweet suggesting that if necessary, he would have played game seven. So that makes me think that they're being cautious with him. You know, he avoided a much more serious injury when it was just a hyperextended knee. When I saw that live, I actually was legitimately depressed because all the other injuries that have happened so far aren't the kind of thing that can shift someone's career. But if Giannis went down with a serious knee injury, it could have changed not only his career arc, but even his entire franchise's future projection. So I'm so happy to see that it was a hyperextended knee and it shows that he really is a freak to walk away from something like that. And it does seem like at some point it'll come back. We just don't know when in this finals will actually happen. I mean, yeah, Giannis, that injury was really scary for me, too. I mean, it looked like his leg was about to snap in half. So it's honestly a miracle that it's only it seems like it's an injury you can come back from and potentially play maybe in game one, if not game one, then hopefully at some point during the finals. But I mean, Giannis is the key, right? He is the the difference maker in this team. He is the best defender on the team. He is an elite slasher. Of course, he still has his flaws and teams have been playing him for his flaws, like his lack of a jump shot. And these are all things that we know, but Giannis has all the potential in the world, more potential than almost anyone in the league, arguably, right? I mean, the guy's 6'11". He moves like a gazelle. It's just an absolutely incredible player. And he can only get better from here. It's just a matter of if his own limitations will stop him. I'm curious to see how the Suns will game plan against a guy like Giannis. Because when you look at it from what other teams have done, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't depending on Giannis and the type of day he's having, right? So it'll be an interesting kind of in-game adjustment that the Suns will have to make against him. But again, Giannis has the potential to really turn the series and really take over a game if it happens. I think for sure the Suns will probably try to hack a Giannis since his free throw shooting has been absolutely terrible. Not to mention that he really gets affected by the crowd whenever they count whenever he's <laughs> yeah. shooting his free throws. So... <laughs> It's become one of the most interesting stories of the whole playoffs is whether this guy can get his free throw shot off within 10 seconds. Forget making it. I'm just excited to see if he can actually take it before the 10 seconds go up. It's like a mini game within a mini game, honestly. Uh, It's just crazy. And I don't know, because if he can't consistently knock down that free throw shot, then he might turn into like the next Ben Simmons. Well, I don't think it's going to be that bad where he'll be scared to even shoot because I don't think it's going to affect him that much. But I just hope he can knock down the big shots like when they matter. You know, Abby, I've heard this sentiment about the things that Giannis hasn't done this playoffs quite a bit. And and with good, good reason, because his free throw shooting... It's a major liability. Sometimes it's shot selection. We've talked about this podcast, those 
early shot clock threes that are just killers. They leave a lot to be desired and they, they expose him and his whole team, right? But quietly, this guy has been dominant this playoffs. You know, you mentioned Ben Simmons. Oh, Ben Simmons ain't scoring 28.2 points per game in a playoff run like this guy's doing right now. And he's also averaging 12 rebounds, four assists as well, and, and making some better passes than he has in, in recent playoffs. He's also not quite playing man-to-man defense. And I think that's another thing that people have been harping on. Hey, how come he's not guarding Durant? How come he's not guarding Trey? Well, that's just not the role they've been using him in. They've been using him as this amazing help defender. And you know what? He's actually carrying his team that way as well. So he's been overall dominant in this playoff run. The other thing I want to say about Giannis is if he ends up winning this championship, let's say even if he misses game one, he comes back and he plays a couple of games and wins. It does lend a level of credibility to this entire playoffs that I feel like any other outcome doesn't, right? So like if the, if the Bucks win without him, it's almost weird and, and it'll almost be awkward for Giannis. If the Suns win, it'll be like this goofy team that hadn't made the playoffs in 10 years, like Anu said, getting Chris Paul all of a sudden they win a championship. It would make much sense. Whereas if Giannis, the guy who's won two prior MVPs and has failed the playoffs a couple of times, comes through and leads his team to a championship, that would kind of be almost like an outcome that fits with the rest of NBA history. So it would lend a level of credibility to this playoffs in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. And another guy who I think the series is really going to be predicated on on his shoulders is Chris Middleton. Because as I've said before, I really feel like he is the closer for this team. And I can only imagine that these games are going to go down to the wire because of just the talent of the two teams. So, I mean, guys, what are our thoughts on Middleton? Is he going to be the kind of the X factor for the series? What do we think? I think he's shown himself and proven himself to be a reliable second option and someone that you can count on, especially in the last two games, like when Giannis went out in Game 5, and then Middleton had a crazy good Game 5 and he had a really good Game 6, and he's just someone that you can rely on and he can close games out for you. It always felt to me that they didn't use Middleton as much as they should have. They have this guy who is efficient at all three levels at shooting the ball, right? I mean, he's a fantastic mid-range shooter. He's also a prolific three-point shooter and he can finish around the rim at least well enough. They didn't use that guy nearly enough because they were so obsessed with featuring the other guy in Giannis, who, while being a dominant slasher and being able to put up 20 points per game and clearly being the engine of their offense and defense, just isn't that kind of a prolific shot maker. So... It just seemed to me that they didn't use Milton enough in general, and they damn for sure didn't use him enough as a closer. And almost by necessity because of Giannis getting injured, and also the previous round where they just needed Milton to make some baskets at critical moments, they've stumbled ass backwards into what they've always should have found, which is that Middleton is the ideal closer for this team. And Giannis then fits in as the sort of screen and roll guy or the occasional guy you throw the ball in the post to, but not the guy that you want to finish the games. You know, Shaq was the best player in the Lakers, but Kobe closed those games. And that's for a reason. It's very difficult for a guy who primarily has a big man skill set to close games in the NBA. So Middleton can be sort of that perimeter closer for the Bucks. Yeah, I agree with you completely because in that sense, it's like more often than not, Giannis, if he's going to close the game, he's going to try to drive to the rim, but they can just jump the paint against him. Whereas Middleton, he can shoot a three or he can take a mid-range shot. There's so much more variety in Middleton's skill set than when compared to Giannis's. Not to mention, I'll be what you're saying is the ideal situation if Giannis gets the ball. I would be happy with him you know, trying to drive and fail. What happens way too often when it's just Giannis being the decision maker is he'll just take that three that's available to him when the team is collapsing against him so his shot selection could be very questionable at times even i'll never forget and i, I know you guys remember this in the net series in a critical position it was game five that durant was going crazy and Giannis gets the ball in the post against james harden and decides for the first time all playoffs to try a you know michael jordan fade away to the baseline for no reason <laughs> in that situation so i just don't trust his decision making and his shot selection in those situations middleton to me is a guy who he has so much talent not just on the offensive side of the ball but i mean he is a fantastic two-way player he's a great defender has great size great length good lateral foot speed to keep up with smaller guards but also the size to deal with bigger forwards so he's a guy that you can put on one of the better forward players like a devin booker to me you can put him on a guy like that and he would not maybe stop him completely but definitely give him a little bit of trouble and then another guy who is fantastic 
on the defensive side of the ball is Drew Holiday, if not the best perimeter defender, arguably beside Giannis in that role. And we got to talk about him as an offensive creator, playmaker, and just a leader for that team in general. He is, in my opinion, at least in the guard position, the best perimeter defender in the NBA. If you look at his performance in the back half of that series against Atlanta, I swear in that closeout game, he guarded all five positions at various points. I mean, he switched on to the center because if you remember in that series, Bud really went all in on the switching, which is something that we've criticized him for in the past, not switching enough. Following Giannis's injury and really probably realistically following Trey's injury, they were very aggressive switching. They weren't worried about any of the other Atlanta guards attacking people on switches. So as a result, Holiday found himself guarding all kinds of players and he just consistently held his own. I think, though, they're going to need a little more from him offensively. He's been a little bit hit or miss to me in these playoffs so far, not just in terms of his efficiency, but it is in terms of his aggressiveness. There are times where it feels like he is being way too passive. And, you know, obviously he's the third option on this team, but there are times where there are plays to be made. I, I thought in the net series in particular, for a lot of that series, they were guarding the Drew Holiday, Giannis pick and rolls where Blake Griffin in those situations was just dropping back in the paint and shading toward Giannis, basically saying, hey, Drew, we're not afraid of you taking either the pull-up jumper or attacking the rim. And he didn't either. He would, he would kind of just settle for mid-range or pass out of those situations. And he kind of bailed out their defense. I wouldn't be surprised to see Phoenix try something similar against him and say, hey, we don't think you're going to be aggressive enough to attack us. We're going to try to stop Giannis on the roll. We're not afraid of you. But Drew has the skill set to punish that. He's got to use it. I always thought Drew had the ability to be able to drive and finish around the rim really well. He just doesn't do that enough. And I do think he is going to be an X factor in this series because he's going to be the primary defender on Chris Paul. Yeah, no question. It's actually, I think he'll be a primary defender, maybe even on Booker. But we'll talk about the matchups in a second. But you mentioned I'll be X Factors. Who's a role player you guys have your eyes on for the finals from this Bucks roster? Well, for me, it's going to have to be Brooke Lopez. And I also have to take a little bit of a step here and raise my hand because I was harping a lot on Brooke Lopez throughout these playoff runs. I didn't think he'd be effective in a lot of the series that he played in. But again, he's proved me wrong as well. I mean, the guy has shown to be an elite scorer around the rim when he's given the opportunity. He is a fantastic shot blocker. He can space the floor and hit a couple threes from deep enough range as well from all spots around the three-point line I think that he's going to be a guy who's going to give DeAndre Ayton a bit of trouble because Ayton has yet to really face off against a good defensive center I guess you could sort of say Jokic is in that area of being like a kind of a big body but Jokic has never been a great defender so now he's up against Brooke Lopez who is a known shot blocker who's going to play in that drop scheme so it's going to be interesting to sort of see how that matchup fares but I do think he's going to be pretty important for the success of the Bucks. Yeah, I was also going to say um, Brooke Lopez because he's just been very impressive. And I also do think that because of his three-point shooting that he could possibly five out Aiden as well. That's a good point, out because it's the first time you could argue that Aiden got really five-outed because, yes, Anthony Davis would have absolutely done that, but the Lakers didn't really go to AD at the five before he got injured, and after he got injured, it was irrelevant because, yes, Marc Gasol was a stretch five, but not one that really had any gravity since he's so unwilling to actually shoot. And yes, you know, then they faced the Nuggets, but then the stretch five was the only threat in Jokic. Then it was the small ball Clippers, but they kind of figured that out too eventually. So this will be a, a new kind of threat with them getting five out of But I, I will say that he's held himself up pretty well so far from what we've seen. My pick, though, is going to be P.J. Tucker. And it's maybe seem a bit of an odd pick because there's no obvious guy for him to guard, right? There's no Kevin Durant or anyone like that there that he's going to be matched up against. But it's for a totally different reason. <laughs> if the Bucks win this year, P.J. Tucker will have beaten every Houston Rockets teammate in each <laughs> round. In the first round, he beat Trevor Ariza on the Heat. Second round, he beat his old buddy James Harden on the Nets. Third round, he beat Clint Capella on the Hawks. And this final round, he'd be able to beat the guy whose hamstring cost him a championship, Chris Paul. <laughs> that is a, it's a very interesting analysis of... PJ Tucker must have really hated his Houston Rockets years and all his teammates. He's like taking them out front, right, left, center, just mowing them all down. This is hit list, his um his vengeance hit list. So if we're talking about the Suns offense versus the Bucks defense, what are some ways that you guys see maybe the Suns attacking the Bucks and also how the Bucks 
defensively can counter some of what the Phoenix is doing offensively. Well, I do feel like the matchup itself is probably a bit in favor of the Bucks, just because defensively they match up pretty well against this team. I mean, like we sort of talked about it previously, Drew Holiday himself can take up multiple matchups. Yeah, so Anu, who do you actually think they're going to put Drew Holiday on? Because he's proven that he can guard just about anyone. If you were Bud, who are you going to put him on? Is it Chris? Is it Devin? Somebody else? I would probably put him on Chris to start. I, I feel like Drew himself is going to be really annoying for Chris Paul to have to deal with. I mean, Chris Paul is very good at protecting the basketball, but I mean, when he's up against a true, like you said, probably arguably one of the best perimeter defensive guards in our game, I mean, it's going to be really tough for him to sort of take care of the basketball. And we, we've seen on many occasions where Chris Paul would have trouble dealing with guys who are actually really good defenders. Like in past playoff matchups, Kawhi Leonard would take the assignment when the Spurs would play against the Clippers and he would cause them a lot of issues as well. So when you have a guy like Drew Holiday who has a good stature, standing at around 6'4", has really long arms, it's, it's going to be hard for Chris to really take care of the orange. So then who would you have chasing around Devin Booker? Because obviously Chris Middleton is equipped to do that. He's long and he's shown that he's good at chasing around those kind of players, but it, it would be tiring and have the risk of foul trouble. Or you could put someone like Pat Connaughton or whoever the other nominal shooting guard is out there chasing him around. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on how the Suns are going to be utilizing a Devin Booker. I mean, if he's going to be played in more of a main ball handler role, I would prefer to have a guy like Chris Middleton sort of guard him. But if they're trying to play Devin Booker as a guy running around screens in that sort of Ray Allen-esque type of role, then I would want a guy like Pat Connaughton who is not going to be that effective on the offense anyway and just be a guy for floor spacing. And I want him to exert all his energy chasing around a Devin Booker. But I do think that Chris Middleton is the right guy for the job in guarding Devin Booker since he has like the length and the lateral speed to be able to contest Devin Booker. Right. And again, like I said, if the Suns are utilizing Devin Booker in this more like isolation, like let's uh, get a post up sort of option, then yeah, having a guy like Chris Middleton who has, I think, two inches on him, who has amazing length is going to trouble Devin Booker, who's used to shooting over guys who are like-sized bodies or smaller than him, but he can just shoot over the top of them. So having a guy like Chris Middleton would be very effective for sure. Yeah, I think that it's less important who guards Chris and Devin respectively than what scheme they run here because this is a really interesting decision that Bud has in front of him. So obviously the Bucks are a prolific drop coverage team. That's what they do the most and, and they do it to a fault. They often end up conceding a lot of three-pointers out of it. But they've also shown this year, much to my surprise, a willingness to switch a lot more and to run other schemes as well. A couple of traps, that kind of stuff too, to throw other teams off. If you drop in the paint, you can take away Aiton as a lot better than a lot of other schemes might. But you leave yourself exposed to potentially getting burned on threes or even those mid-range jump shots that Chris Paul is so proficient at. If you switch everything, you might leave yourself with weird mismatch situations where, you know, Brooke Lopez is out there on an island against Devin Booker. So what do they do here? Yeah, I think that's the other thing, right? Like, it really does depend on what kind of defensive scheme that the Bucks are going to employ. And I think it's really hard to have any sort of particular scheme because, like you said, if they decide to switch on screens and you have Brook Lopez just kind of in no man's land guarding the perimeter, I mean, he's not a guy who has great foot speed or lateral quickness to even keep up with the Chris Paul who's known for killing big guys. He's like, it's ridiculous what he does to them off, off switches. And then you have Devin Booker who's equally equipped and deadly to deal with those kind of switches. But then on the other hand, if you decide to drop against a Devin Booker or Chris Paul, you're also shooting yourself in the foot because, I mean, both of these guys are deadly in the mid-range. So I do think it's very dependent on what we're going to see from Bud's scheme, whether he's going to look to trap on the picks and do things like that. But overall, I mean, the Suns are a great offensive team, so it's going to take a lot of game planning and in-game adjustments for sure. And they're a team with great shooting too. You can't just play a defense where you're just trying to take the ball, like just trap and do nothing else against someone like Booker because they have guys who have proven that they can make open shots. One interesting thing to me about the conference finals was that it seemed like when the Clippers were switching against the Suns, they kept kind of running their offense, taking mid-range jumpers, doing the same stuff they've been doing against other schemes. And then toward the latter part of the series, they realized, oh, wait a minute, there's no shot blocker out there. There's we're switching, we can attack the rim. And you saw Booker in particular, but even Chris Paul campaign, those guys put their head down and get to the rim. 
There's a bit of a different challenge, though, when you have actual shot blockers like the Milwaukee Bucks do, and they have several sometimes on the court at once. And it may be as simple from a schematic perspective as when Brooke Lopez is out there, they may drop. And when, when someone like Bobby Portis is out there or if Giannis is the five, they may switch. So that could be one solution around the problem. Yeah, and then that also, again, it, it really is a matter of how Bud decides to change the lineups and go according to whatever's happening during the game. Because like you said, having a guy like Bobby Portis is also kind of valuable because he's a more mobile big. So he's able to sort of move his feet with the quicker guys on the Suns, maybe not stop them or contain them really, but it, it can help to employ a certain type of scheme that you're trying to throw at the Suns. And Giannis, of course, is, again, he is a defensive player of the year for a reason, right? I mean, you can run any sort of scheme with him. He does didn't necessarily have to guard the ball to be effective he can just play and rotate off of a player just for a brief second and he can cover enough ground that he can provide some assistance at the rim or maybe even to swing out and rotate to a corner do anything like of that nature but like you said it is difficult to play against the Suns team because of their floor spacing they have such good shooters in Jay Crowder I mean you like you say Mikhail Bridges who never seems to miss even guys like campaign even a guy like Dario Sarge can get going unexpectedly right so you have guys that it's going to be a hard help off of the corners when you have to deal with a Devin Booker or a Chris Paul. What about the other way around? So if we're thinking about the Bucks' offense versus Suns' defense, how are the Suns going to try to defend what the Bucks are running and how can the Bucks attack the Suns? I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, it's why I felt that the Bucks have a favorable matchup because not only are their defensive players good on that end, but they're two-way players. They can put the ball in the basket. I mean, Chris Paul is a phenomenal defender at his size, but given his age and all those considerations how much effort do you want him to exert on the defensive end other than Chris Paul on the perimeter they have Jay Crowder who really plays more in that four role and they have Mikhail Bridges who is another exceptionally good defender but outside of that they have DeAndre Aiden who's the rim protector and they have Devin Booker who doesn't really want to have to exert that kind of effort on the defensive end and all the other players are not great defenders but they play well within their schemes so when you have a guy like Drew Holiday who can put the ball in the basket when you have a guy like Chris Middleton who is I mean their kind of primary first option and then you have no kind of like-sized body to deal with a Giannis outside of DeAndre Ayton and you don't want to have that matchup I mean it's going to be hard defensively for the Phoenix Suns to keep up with all the different schemes and looks that the Bucks can do on the offensive end I mean even a guy like Lopez right like I'll be sort of said earlier he has the potential to be able to five out a DeAndre Ayton and make him sort of useless and DeAndre Ayton himself is a good rim protector but when Lopez is going to the three in the corner and drawing him out there even going to the hash and being able to stretch him out that far like that's something that it's hard to account for as a Suns defense and they're not even known for their defense really I think the Suns are just gonna have to beat them offensively because even if they did just completely junk the paint there's too many offensive weapons on the Bucks in guys like Drew Holiday Chris Middleton and even Brooke Lopez where they can hit their open shots so even if they neutralize Giannis they still deal with all those guys as well as Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes if they play him at all so I think defensively this isn't in favor of the Suns that they're just gonna have to hope that they can beat them via shootout if we're looking to see how the Suns will try to defend against Giannis I think we should look back to how they dealt with LeBron in round one Matt was that a diminished LeBron pretty clearly yes it was a LeBron who was up on them at some point in that series 2-1 but what they did against him was they basically had five men in the paint at least one foot in the paint and they dared in many times the officials to call defensive three second the key which they never do and the Lakers just couldn't hit enough shots if you watch that series LeBron would drive the defense would collapse you'd kick out and they would miss as I'll be alluded to this Bucks team has a little bit more shooting the Lakers did now historically those shooters have failed the Bucks when it's really matter when teams have really built walls against them they have failed the Bucks so will those guys make threes I think that's what the Suns will dare them to do they're gonna say listen we're not gonna let Giannis beat us by just dunking on us all day we're gonna collapse the pain and, and if it really needs to we're gonna foul them I think that's a pretty sound strategy and I'm still not that convinced that the Bucks have proven they can beat it so I'm actually a little bit optimistic about the Suns ability to shut down the Bucks and I'm pessimistic about the Bucks ability to adapt and do something different against that scheme which we've already seen the Suns use before and we've already seen the Bucks struggle with. Yeah, I think you actually make a really good point about being able to adapt and kind of being very serious about game ones. I mean, from my perspective and what I've seen in the playoffs, I always felt like Bud is very slow to make adjustments. And on top of that, I don't think he really treats his game ones that seriously. Whereas I think the opposite with the Suns who are 
very hard nose when it comes to the game ones and the game plan they want to go in with and monty williams is a really good coach as well i think it's time we sort of give him that credit he deserves because he's done a great job with adjusting lineups adjusting different schemes like you said playing against the lakers and forcing them to have to make shots and playing a scheme where they're forcing the other team to have to beat them or forcing anyone other than a star to beat them which is very important and again like they can play that sort of way against Giannis and force the Pat Connaughton's of the world, the Bobby Portis's of the world, the Bryn Forbes of the world to try to win a series and take that against them, right? Because I'm sure that they're not going to help off of a Middleton. They'll probably give Drew a couple of looks here and there if they need to give someone some shots. But again, it's going to be up to the role players and how they play, really, because Giannis can only do so much with the defensive schemes that are going to be in place against him. And it really comes down to how well the role players for the Bucks, who, like you said, historically have not shown up in big game moments. I mean, as of late, you could say that they have been much better. But again, this is the NBA finals we're talking about. And this is not for the faint of heart. You have to come to play. You got to bring your lunch. One of the major weaknesses of the Bucks is they just don't have a very deep lineup. And losing Dante DiVincenzo for this playoffs has so many ripple effects. And one of them is that Pat Connaughton, who frankly is at best a pretty good bench player, is now a starting shooting guard. I don't even think he's really even a shooting guard, like positionally. That's what he has to do. And behind him, you have Bryn Forbes, who's a purely an offensive player. You have Bobby Portis, who probably a 10th man in a lot of other playoff teams. So they're not that deep. So if one or two of these guys are misfired, firing from three they're gonna have a lot of problems because they don't have many options to go to on the other hand i do think that this is a situation where they don't have a physical body that can stop Giannis. so the very fact that the suns have to collapse the paint against them to even have a chance does mean the bucks at least have something they can exploit right there will be an open shot somewhere I think the question will be, will the Bucks continue the trend we've seen increasingly this season and even throughout the playoffs of using Giannis more as a screener and a role man than as this sort of perimeter superstar that he really isn't, where he gets the ball up, you know, the top of the key and dribbles the air out of the ball and then makes a decision. It's just not his game. That latter version of Giannis cannot beat a wall. And I think that Phoenix has proven that whether they have the personnel or not, they'll at least try to execute whatever that scheme is. You're going to need him to do something else you're going to need him to set picks and sort of free up let's let's say like for instance phoenix runs a drop coverage right which they've done quite a bit here as part of making this wall he's going to need to use a screen setter to, so that drew or middleton could get open threes but if Giannis or bud whoever decides these things decides that they'd rather have Giannis do what he's done for way too much of his career i don't think he can beat that scheme that way and this is where I think that Drew Holiday is really going to have to show up because if he's not hitting his open threes when he gets open after um, Phoenix collapses when Giannis drives, then it's going to be a huge problem for them. And Drew Holiday has never been the greatest three-point shooter, but he's going to have to bring it if they want to win the championship, especially if they're going to like leave him open because I can't see them leaving um, Chris Middleton open. I think Drew Holiday is really going to have to make those open shots. I, I completely agree. I almost think if you could pick one sort of swing factor in how this series goes, it'll be will Drew Holiday take and make enough threes in this NBA Finals? Because it's that important. I will say this, though, for the Bucks fans listening to this, I bet y'all feel a lot better about those shots ultimately coming from the likes of Drew Holiday than Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> and i remember that really well because eric bledsoe you suck um, you don't really suck but honestly <laughs> though you definitely aided my team in winning a championship so thank you very much eric i appreciate your service yeah it's just that drew holiday is such an upgrade from eric bledsoe because bledsoe just can't shoot and his defense i never really thought he was a great defender and clearly in the previous playoffs and playoffs before he wasn't really doing his job and if he's not really shooting or defending, then what is he really contributing to a team? Yeah, I thought that he was a good defender in the sense that he could do some things very well, like chase guys over screens, that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's a make or miss league, as they said, and especially when your main star has offensive holes, like he doesn't provide any sort of spacing himself. You need the other guys to be able to hit shots and his inability to make shots over and over again was you know was one of the big reasons they failed and drew holiday has had some poor shooting games because as i'll be said he's not a great three-point shooter but he's good enough and he's made enough of them in the right moments in the right times that the buck find themselves in the nba finals i just don't think that you can win a championship when two of your three best players are not good shooters at least two of them have to be able to shoot pretty consistently well and i just hope that drew holiday can bring it and he can make his open shots 
I do think that a lot of this is going to be based around the coaching. And as we know, Bud has never been a great coach. I mean, we've seen him make adjustments this year. And he's been actually doing the one thing that he's been criticized the most for, which is actually playing his players instead of just resting them and keeping them on weird minute restrictions. So I'm glad that he's sort of gone over those issues in his past, but he hasn't really been a coach that really can make good in-game adjustments. Whereas a guy like Monty Williams has shown us that he is definitely in the upper echelon of coaches. So I just want to get both of your opinions on the chess match that's going to be played between both of these guys here. I mean, are we really going to give this guy credit for playing his players? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Is the bar this low? I mean, honestly, that's that's where we're at right now. That's that's where we're at. Seriously. I mean, that's the thing. So I, I think that we have to acknowledge that Bud has made a lot of improvements. He's basically done every single thing that all the basketball writers out there, all the basketball podcasts, all the halftime shows. And our own podcast has told him to do, which is, you know, he's played his guys more. He's, you know, used Giannis a little bit more off the ball. He's done more switching. But then a lot of these things are like so basic that I don't know if we should give him awards for them either. And I agree with you that even though he's done these things, it's never been quite enough until maybe later in the series where it was really necessary. So I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm not even that sure about whether his game one slowness will matter that much because if Giannis is doubtful for game one and it's in Phoenix, I expect Phoenix to win game one anyway. But man, <laughs> when you already concede the sort of early strategic edge to somebody, you're always playing catch up, right? So I will absolutely give the coaching edge here to Monty Williams. I don't think there's any question about it. I also wouldn't give Bud much credit because he did have to go up against um, like three teams that were also injured that didn't have some of their best players because for the Heat, they didn't have Victor Oladipo. The Nets didn't have James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And then the Hawks didn't have Trey Young. So it's kind of expected that they win those games. You know, you wouldn't expect them to lose like any of those series. But I do think that Monte is going to outcoach him as long as he doesn't do any weird things like he did with his timeouts back in like the first series against the Lakers. I don't think there's going to be any problem with Monty's coaching versus Bud's coaching. Yeah, and on top of that, I think Monty also has an advantage just having a Chris Paul with him because if we talk about IQ, I mean, it doesn't get any higher than Chris Paul really. He is one of the smartest players in the NBA. And on numerous occasions, I've seen both Chris Paul and Devin Booker giving their teammates pep talks, you know, looking at plays, like doing things of that nature, which is always great to see when a player can sort of coach the team as well. That sort of thing doesn't really happen too much on the Bucks. I don't think they really have a leader. I mean, Giannis is a nice guy to his teammates, but I've never really seen him coach his teammates. There's like one thing with Bobby Portis that he did in like the Hawks game. But other than that, like Giannis is not really that kind of guy. Chris Milton's not really that kind of guy. Drew holiday really isn't so really like a lot of the brains rely on the bucks and their coaching staff and if it's a battle on that end i do think that the suns have an advantage so you mentioned chris paul's iq one of the big questions about this finals is what is the effect of a win or a loss on chris paul's legacy and i guess before i get to that the root question would then be where does he rank for you right now sort of on the all-time point guard list That's a tough question. I think right now, I think it's probably fair to say he's a top five point guard of all time. So let's just go through the exercise. Would you say that these four guys are clearly ahead of him? Because I think there's four who I think anyone would say is ahead of him for the most part as a basketball fan. That's Magic, Oscar, Steph, and Isaiah Thomas. Because all four of those guys were either the best player on their team for multiple championships or an Oscar Robertson who was the second best player on one championship, but also just an outstanding legendary all-time player. And all four guys obviously won rings i mean yeah i would say he's right behind those four right now for sure at five some people may argue that a john stockton is at that five spot and not chris paul yet but i mean right now for me i would say that chris paul is at five right now yeah so i think that next category of point guards are the people who have basically done everything but win a ring right but they have amazing legacies you have john stockton the all-time assistant steel leader you have steve nash two-time mvp and a guy who sort of reinvented himself in the second half of his career so a fantastic all-around offensive player you have jason kidd one of the best two-way players of all time my personal favorite basketball player i love jason kidd the guy could pass like magic and he defended like a maniac you have guys like gary payton you have to throw in nick's legend walt clyde frazier my favorite announcer another outstanding defensive guard and 
one of the great players and probably the best player on two championship teams when the garden was Eden, as they say, in the 70s. So there's a, there's a lot of great <laughs> players. And I don't, I don't know if Chris Paul is definitively in front of everyone else that we just mentioned. But he's definitely in the running. I'll agree with you on that. He's like somewhere in that list of those guys. I feel like him and like John Stockton might be interchangeable in a way. Two guys who kind of done it all, but just couldn't quite win the ring. Yeah, but like, I do think that overall Chris Paul, I would say is a better scorer than John Stockton though. Yeah, that's the thing about Chris Paul, right? Because he ticks sort of every box of a point guard. So he is this ode to the old passing legends, like the Stocktons and the kids and all those guys who were set up men, right? Like their job was to set people up. But he also had this scoring touch that you saw from the Oscars and the Isaiahs, like the ability to take over a quarter or a game. That sort of makes him a differentiator amongst his peers. So he's got all of that. Another thing that Chris Paul has, I think you can make an argument that Chris Paul is the single best defensive player six foot or under in NBA history. If you think about what this guy can do, it's not just that he gets steals. A lot of guys who are short who got steals, like Stockton got a lot of steals. Stockton was a good defender too. Yeah. Right. And there's plenty of other guys who get steals, but. Chris Paul's different. His man-to-man defense, even against much bigger players. I know you guys remember like a young KD, how much trouble he had against Chris Paul, who was like a foot shorter than him. Because Chris Paul understands leverage, he understands timing. And he's just an amazing defensive player. So all that being said, I, I'm not opposed to you putting him at five or Ubi, as you said, interchangeable Stockton. So in that five, six range, which brings the question again of what does winning do to Chris Paul? If he wins the NBA Finals this year, what does that do for him? I think undeniably he will be a top five point guard. I don't think anyone will be able to contest that or anyone will be able to say like, oh, but this, but that. I think for sure he's going to be in the top five if he wins this ring. And I also don't think it would be fair to call this like an Astros championship. As we talked about before, I think this counts. I think he will be a top five point guard if he does win the championship. I, I think I'm right there with Obi too. Like like he, he said it really well because he saying that Chris Paul and John Stockton are sort of interchangeable in the sense that they were both so similar and what it is that they brought to the game, even with the facts that they both didn't win a ring, right? But if Chris Paul is able to win, I think it just posits him ahead of a John Stockton just because he has that gear on him, that ring, that leverage right there. So to me, I would say it cements him at five. Right now, I, w- I still would like to think that Chris Paul is just a bit better than a John Stockton just because of his ability to turn it up offensively and be sort of that offensive initiator and just do everything for his team. Whereas John Stockton could do that on any given night, but he wasn't what he was known for they're both great defenders are both great at getting their teammates involved they're both fantastic at controlling the pace of the game but realistically it's this championship that can set them apart and i think that chris paul if once he wins can cement himself at five because there's a lot of great point guards like you said so he'll be right there i'm right there with both of you guys i think he wins this he's a, a top five player. i don't think he even needs to be the finals mvp if he wins this he is one of the five greatest point guards ever if you factor in his longevity the fact he's doing this at 36 years old it's it's truly amazing however i do think a loss here might actually be sort of painful for him i think it'll almost forever it won't necessarily drop him but it'll certainly make it much more difficult for him to be sort of a consensus top five player especially if Giannis is hurt like if Giannis is hurt and they somehow lose this that would be almost a devastating blow. But I think it'll be because, you know, Stockton made a couple of finals. Nash actually never made a final. But, you know, Jason Kidd made a couple of finals. A lot of these guys in this list, they're sort of behind that top four, have made a finals and failed. So they're still considered all-time greats. They're just not on that ultimate level of player. So I do think losing here could hurt him a little bit. And that's actually why I'm excited that Chris Paul's in the finals, right? Because... What makes NBA Finals compelling is the legacies on the line. And the same with Giannis on the other end. Like, if Giannis wins, it changes the whole legacy of his and the career arc that we know about him. And same here with Chris Paul. If it was just Devin Booker and a bunch of young guys, it's not the same as a guy who has real legacy, real stakes, who's already considered an all-time great, but just doesn't have that hardware. It would be awesome, kind of either way, just to watch this unfold. Well, if the Bucks lose, I don't think it's going to hurt Giannis that much since he's still like, young. He can still always get back at this point. I would love to see Chris Paul win, though, because I feel like after like 16 years of being in the league, it would be amazing if he could win his first ring. I actually disagree with you, though, Abi. I think that this would be a huge blow for Giannis as well, just because he's been fighting to get to this point in his career for so long, right? And now he's finally here. Like, if you think about Michael Jordan, right? For years, he was stuck 
against the Pistons and losing to them constantly. But once he broke that threshold, he got to the finals, he won in his first finals, and subsequently, after every finals he went to, he would win, right? So for Giannis, he in that same sort of situation where he's broken past all these really strong teams in the East that for years have found a way to wall him and to deal with him. And now he's reached that point where he's gone to a finals and he's up against a team that has a veteran and an all-time great player themselves with Chris Paul, but the rest of the team is still young and they're inexperienced outside of a Jay Crowder maybe. But it's really for the taking for the Bucks because this is the best roster, at least top-heavy roster, that they've ever assembled. Like granted, yes, they don't have DiVincenzo, but I do think that it'll hurt Giannis because he's gone to a point in his career where he's won two MVPs he has always been thought of to be a top five player in the NBA and if he's not able to reach this point against a team that has an aging Chris Paul and a young team I I just think that that's going to be a huge detriment to him because it's not like him reaching the finals as a guarantee every year it's not like LeBron where (laughs) we used to think it was a shoe-in every year for him to get to the finals right with Giannis he has to deal with a lot of good up-and-coming not even up-and-coming but just good Eastern Conference teams right so he needs to take advantage of the opportunity that's presented presented to him right now and hopefully he can come back and be healthy for the series that's fair that's a good point but i guess what i was trying to say is i mean he's also like not 100 percent. even if like the bucks do lose i don't think it'll be fair to completely like pin all the blame on him because even if he does come back he's not gonna be 100 so i wouldn't say that it's gonna be disastrous for his legacy is it gonna hurt sure but i don't think it's gonna ruin his legacy should it affect his legacy no will it affect his legacy yes you know, Anu, you mentioned that, you know, he got through all the teams. I would argue he didn't even get through any teams at all. He played a bunch of injured teams, and it's almost as if he can't have a better opportunity. And by the way, to bring this back to Chris Paul, that's the same thing that we could say about, about the Suns. They're never going to have a better opportunity to win than they do this year, right? Because next year, Chris Paul's a year older. Next year, maybe the entire Western Conference doesn't get injured. Like, all the top teams don't have major injuries that knock them out one by one, just sitting there for the Suns to take. I I think both teams have to go into this finals thinking, man, we got lucky. Considering the kind of teams that have historically made the finals, we're facing a team that has either some sort of injury issue, whether it's Devin Booker's nose or whether it's Chris Paul's hand or whether it's Giannis's knee or a team that just isn't that scary from when you look across and you don't see four Golden State Hall of Famers out there. You know, you don't see Kobe and Shaq out there. You don't see like the Heatles out there. It's just not one of those intimidating teams. So both teams have to feel like they can win this right now. If you're Chris Paul and you don't win this right now, Forget about legacy. It's just probably his last realistic chance to actually win. With that, I think that this is a great place to stop. Thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. We had tons of fun talking and covering the playoffs so far, and we really hope you tune in for future episodes. So please don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe to wherever you catch your podcast, and hope you join us in the next one. Take care, y'all.